You know, so many times it happened to me that uh, God gave me something that I would never dare to ask. No, we call it a lack of faith, right? Uh, and you know, it's because we don't believe, so we don't expect. But we can say that uh, sometimes, you know, we just think that we cannot do different things, and so we don't do it. For example, we may not go to somebody that is very important in a high position uh, because we think that who am I to tell him something? And if you reach out to him and share the gospel with him, he would never listen to me, right? Uh, you may think maybe that uh, someone is, yeah, that someone is too Jewish to take your word and come to Christ. So, oh, who am I? I'm, I'm a Gentile. I'm not from the family. And you know, Jews have this kind of tendency to tell you, after all that happened to us because of Christianity, you don't tell me what to do. So we, we are intimidated and we don't tell them the gospel. And you know, after they lost so much, now we don't even give them the, the chance to have eternal life. But I want to tell you, you know, the, I, I always start with the bottom line, so if you fall asleep, you don't lose something important. <laughs> uh, but I want to tell you that when we are sent by the Holy Spirit and walk with Him, we can expect great things to happen. Things that we would not even dare to ask. And God may give it to us in spite of who we are, in spite of our lack of abilities. And we are going to, to look uh, through the book of Acts today, chapter 13. Uh, I will not read it, but if you have it open before your eyes, you will be able to follow the point. But the point is that there is a passage, it's the only passage that I know in the Bible that gives a full description of how Apostle Paul reached out to the Jews. He goes to a synagogue, we'll talk about it, and he has the opportunity and he comes to the Jews with the gospel message. And if we want to go to Jewish people in the Chicago area, you have many, and you want to reach out to them, I don't think that the synagogue will be an option for you, but in other places, maybe we can learn something from Paul about the way that he talks to the Jews I must say that we can learn from Paul about the way he talks to people that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And maybe we can learn something together. But let me go a little bit back to the background. Uh, you know, Paul was a teacher in the church in Antioch. It's Antioch in Syria, not in Greece. And then it says in Acts 13, chapter, uh, verse 3, it said that when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on on them, they send them away. So Paul and Barnabas were sent by the church to share the gospel, right? Then in, in verse 4 it says that they sent out by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? So the church make a decision, but the one who sent them out was the Holy Spirit. 
How did it happen? No, it's not for today, but it, the Holy Spirit speaks to the church, to the elders of the church, speaks to them. All together they come and they fast and they pray and they are sent by the Holy Spirit. And now they go with the Holy Spirit. And they sail from Syria to Cyprus. And basically, basically they walk all the way to Papos, which is in the west side of Cyprus, right? So they have to walk all over the Cyprus. What did they do while walking there? Well, it doesn't say, but let me tell you because I have some connections, I know. Uh, they walk there. It's Paul. He shared the gospel with people. And probably, as much as I can tell, there was not great reaction because otherwise we would hear about it, right? So he's walking now. He didn't have Chevy. No, he walked. So he walked all the way from the east side to the west side of Cyprus, I think reaching out with no results. Coming to Papos, the other corner, and there the, I think that it says in your Bible, the proconsul, the governor, the prime minister, the president, I don't know how we want to call him, the, the leader, he meet Paul and says, hey, why won't you tell me about your faith? <laughs> I don't think that Paul was praying about it. He said, well, I will go in Cyprus. I don't want anyone to repent, but when I come to Papos, I want this guy, you know, I want Netanyahu to... <laughs> to no, it's not, it was not part of his life. It, he was just simple man reaching out. And he comes, and the governor becomes a believer. You see, I don't think that Paul ever prayed for this. But when you walk with the Spirit, when you are sent by the Spirit, great things may happen to you. And Paul was willing to walk with the Spirit, and many things happened to him. And then Paul goes from there, and he goes up north uh, to Pisidia, Pisidian Antioch, and it says in verse 14 that on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. Why did they do this? Why did they go to the synagogue and sit down? <laughs> because that's what Jewish people do. No, you go to a place, it's Saturday, what do you do on the Sabbath day? You go to the synagogue and you sit down and you wait. Now, Paul was very familiar, and he was a Christian. So he knew that what's going on in the synagogue is wrong. So what was his plan? What do you think? Uh, so I think that he came to, to the synagogue. He sat in the back, back seat there, next to Orit. That's, that's how Jewish people do it. And, <laughs> and he said, I will be there. At the end of the service, people coming out, I will talk to them. Maybe somebody would be willing to listen to the gospel. So nice, isn't it? That's the plan, more or less. But then the rabbi asked them, now look at verse 15. It says, brothers, if you have, you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Weird, huh? So 
just imagine now the, the situation uh, that we are invited to a bar mitzvah. No bar mitzvah, they do it many, do it in the synagogue on Saturday, on the Sabbath day. And I'm a Christian, right? So I go to the bar mitzvah because you have to go. It's family or friends. You, you cannot ignore it. So, so you go and you sit in the back seat and you basically wait for the nightmare to be over. <laughs> no? Now you all laugh, but Orit says yes. Because, okay, I, I, will, I will bring it to, you, to your field in a minute. And we sit there and we wait. And just imagine that the rabbi says, hey, you, Kashtan, Eitan, do you have something to say to the crowd? Come up here and talk to them. You see the point? Now, in the synagogue, you read the portions of the reading as usual. And then at the end, maybe, maybe the rabbi would say, 10 minutes of exhortation. That's what he asked Paul to do. Paul took more than 10 minutes. Remember it because they told me that I have 45 minutes now. <laughs> uh, but you see, Paul is sitting there just waiting it will be over because it's, it's not pleasant time for him. See, sitting in a synagogue when they worship different God. And then, boom, the rabbi says, come here and have something to say. Okay? If you don't understand what I'm talking about, just imagine that you have a Catholic family member. And they have, I don't know, a wedding in their Catholic church. Would you go? Sure, they have food at the end, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, but you see, you, you would go and you would sit there and you don't like all this that's happening there. And you wait for it to be over and you want to go home. And maybe if you are just as spiritual as Paul, you say, well, maybe at the end, around the table, I will be able to talk to somebody about Christ. That's the best that we can wish for. But just imagine that the, how do they call it, priest? Tell you, hey, no, you, you come from the holy, holy city of Warrenville, right? Come here. Do you have something to say? No, if somebody do it to me, I would die. But Paul jumped on the opportunity. And, and he started to, to, to talk to this Jewish religious people came to the synagogue to worship in their ways. And he gave a, a kind of a, a lecture, much longer than was planned, but he started, I don't, I don't know if you have this expression in English, but we do it, have it in Hebrew. He started start with the honey, not with the sting. No, he started with something that is pleasant. But I want to tell you now already, he has a main reason for doing it. Because he wants to catch their hearing and he wants to explain one important point before we come to the core of the gospel. Because you know, if you would go jump directly in, you had to say, oh, you told me I have a chance. Okay, sinners, if you do not repent, you go to hell. Okay? Then they probably would stone him. And I don't know if anyone would repent for, for hearing it. But he wants to, to convince them that God is totally sovereign. That's the main thing. And he's going to, to give a history lesson to show that God is totally sovereign. Why? Because if I can convince anyone that God is totally sovereign and what he says 
it's what's going to happen, then I can show that Jesus is the Messiah and it's, we are done. Because the plan is already there, right? So that's basically what he does. And that's how we start to, to talk. And he says in verse uh, 16, he turned to them and says, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. We love it when people call us people of Israel. No, we, we feel like a, a team. No, we are above anybody else. We are Israelis. We don't uh, participate in the World Cup because we don't know how to play football, but the rest we are okay. We are okay. Um, and he said, Men of Israel, and just imagine the people in the synagogue. They're so happy, huh? He talks, hey, you are my, my people. No. And he says, and you who feared God, we'll talk about it a little bit later. And he said, okay. He's going to, to say the, the, the right things. And then he starts with this lesson that we will not touch all the details. But he starts with this, he says in verse 17, the God of this Israel, of, of these people of Israel chose our fathers. It's nice to be chosen, huh? Chosen by God. It's really nice. And that's what he tells them. And you know, we Jewish, we sometimes don't understand it right. God says that we are chosen, not that we are supreme. Not to, that we are better. By the way, in Hebrew, it's very, the words are very close to each other. Uh, so God didn't say that I chose you because you were good. He says, in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, I chose you because you were small. You were insignificant. You were nobody. But I said, I chose you. Why did God chose us? I don't know. If I would be God, I would choose somebody else. But he chose Israel because he promised to Abraham. Because he chose Abraham because he loved him. He loved him because he is sovereign. He can make the decision. He doesn't need a reason from us. And, what, and Paul starts this because he wants to tell the people, you know, God is sovereign and therefore you are elected. You are elected according to his will, not according to your will, not according to your works. And the fact that we are chosen is a great comfort for us. So that's how we start. Second, he says, he says uh, that God lifted up the, the people during their stay in the land of Egypt and with a uplifted arm, hidden them out from it. Well, this is important, right? Because where does Paul meet these Jewish people? No, they're not in Israel. So they lost the war. They were kicked out of their land. And in their mind, they start to think, maybe God left us. Maybe he forsake us. And they're sitting there in the diaspora. And they don't know what's going on. And here comes this guy from Israel and says, hey, you know, 
hundreds of years we were in, in Egypt, God was, was still there for us. Don't, don't lose hope. You will be okay. That's what he said. Tell them. Now, we've been there, right? We've been there. And he says, don't worry. God loves you. God chose you. He lifted you up. Even when you were a slave for centuries. And what happened there in Egypt is a big deal. Because it says, it says that more they afflicted them, more they multiplied. Now, it's crazy to think. You see, it's a group of people went to Egypt, became slaves. And slaves, you know, have no rights. And then there is another command to kill every boy that was born. So what are the chances for a nation like this to multiply, to, to get bigger? No, in fact, you know, it's a, a matter of a few decades and they will disappear, right? Oh, no, but they are getting bigger. And in spite of what's going on there, there is a guy, his name is Joseph, that was sold as a slave, was taken to Egypt, was in jail, and became one of the high positions in the government. You see what, it, what does it mean that God lifted them up? Not to take somebody that is no one, put him here on top of the list and taking care of it. And the people of Israel were able to, to leave Egypt in spite of everything. And by the way, it's, it's very common in the history of our nation. Now, we were in, a, in the diaspora in Babylon for 70 years. You would think, well, this is very bad. Well, I tell you something. Now, in Babylon, the Jewish people started a culture that we still enjoy today. Now, all the ideas of synagogues started there. A lot of writings, by the way, a lot of words that we use in modern Hebrew were invented in Babylon because they, they needed to do some stuff. Okay, if we jump with the history, uh, now the Nazis just recently, right? They tried to destroy, to eliminate the Jewish people. So they put us in camps and they started to kill us. No, that it was a killing machine. Now what happened in the camps? People got married, they had children, they wrote literature, you know, music. They even had sport tournaments inside the camps. And the result of the, this attempt to destroy the Jewish nation was that we have a Jewish state. You see? Now, what are the chances that a nation will be sent to camps to be destroyed that after 10 years, they will have a nation. After 70 years, they will have one of the most modern nations in the world. What are the chances that for it to happen if there is no God lifting them up? So Paul tells the people in the synagogue, no, don't lose hope. God did it before, and he will do it again. So now it's not fun because we are not in Israel. No, we are foreigners. We understand it's not fun, but God is lifting up his people. So anytime, anytime that other nations try to destroy Israel, the result is good for us. Not saying that you should push 
your government to try to destroy us. No, we're okay. <laughs> it was enough. The third thing that he says, that the people of Israel survived in the wilderness, in the desert, because of God's providence. So for a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Just imagine a group of slaves never went to school. So they don't know geography. They don't know how to look at the stars to find the, the north. They know nothing. They are, they are nothing. Nothing at all. And they start to go 40 years. You know why? They didn't have ways. Now, if you, you know that ways is an Israeli product, right? Just that you know. But now we always say that, that probably men led the group because women ask. Men never ask, right? We try by ourselves. So it took, for, it took 40 years. But they, they go, and after 40 years, they come to the right place. Can you believe it? It's, it's a great miracle. It's not less a miracle than turning the water of the Nile into blood. But just to take a, a people that are going out and start to walk in the wilderness for 40 years and coming to the right place, surviving 40 years with no food, no, nothing. And God takes care of them all this time. Takes care of them. Teach them how to, to, how to walk. Give them law. You know, God is sovereign. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Then he said that God, um, inheriting the promised land, uh, this is another great miracle, isn't it? That's what he says. Yeah. Okay. And he says that he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. He distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took 450 years. So how could a group of untrained people go into a land that has seven equipped and trained armies and win. And I know what we think. We say, oh, we know Joshua was a good military commander, right? He was excellent. So what would you say if one of the big officers of the Marines would tell his soldiers, for the next battle you take trumpets instead of guns? Right? That's what Joshua told them. You take trumpet. You don't need to war. Just take trumpet. It will be okay. That's a nice tragedy for war. Right? But since God is in control there, God is running it, they can win. And this group of untrained people going into the, the land, beating seven armies, completely beating them and getting getting in, con conquer the land. And what can you say about the people that come and the Jordan River stop for them and they go through and then they, they have a war in Jericho and they, they have a war here and war there and everywhere, everywhere they go, they win. And they know, the people that sit in the, in the synagogue know, the people in the synagogue here in DuPage, you know, it's not about the people, it's about God, isn't it? He is sovereign, 
He says, I will give you this land, and he will give the land. That's it, because he's sovereign. It's not about us, it's about him. It's all about him. And 45, 450 years, God is showing the people of Israel that he is sovereign, he's in control, he's taking them. It's not about them. Why? Because he promised. Do you understand it? All these people that came to the synagogue this morning, do you understand the point? God is sovereign. And therefore, if you run into hard time, he can fix it for you. No, he will fix it for you if you belong to him. It's not if, he will fix it for you. Maybe not in the time that you want, maybe not in the way that you want, but he will fix it for us if we are willing to walk with him. That's what he says. But this is not the end of the story because then he says that God gave judges to Israel. After all, all these things, he gave judges until Samuel the prophet. So Paul relates to the fact that, not that I must say that until a few weeks ago, I didn't think about it, that all the judges of Israel, all of them, were chosen by God. It's not that they walked and said, oh, Samson, he's a big guy. Let's, let's have him. A... No, no, no. It's all, all about God. In fact, one time, the people of Israel decided that we will have our own judge. They, so they took Avimelech, Abimelech, right? No, the, the son of Gideon. It was a disaster, no? When we, when we go for election, we get Biden. <laughs> I don't want to talk politics, but you know, that's what we do. But if God shields somebody, it may be somebody better, right? And that's the point. And he says, God gave you, God gave you these prophets. So he can give you again. But then he says, and God gave Israel also the first two kings. Now, later on, it was the son of, the son of, the son of. But the first two kings, it's choice of God. Okay? And it says he gave you, he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, and a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And then after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. Well, God told Israel that having a king is a bad idea, right? He told them so many times. Samuel tried to fight the request. So they want to have a, a, a king. God gave a man after the people's heart. So you know, that's who he is. So what do we want? We choose leader. We want to have somebody that is 1.9 meter. What is it? 6.4, I think you call it. Black shirt. Living in Ganyavne. Have a strong voice. No, can walk like a king. So that will be our leader. Now that's the way that we look at it. Want to have a big one. Somebody that has good speech, that can talk nice. No, we would never cho choose Moses, huh? Because, you know, he would be really, really bad on the talk shows. 
I, I, I need to bring my brother. <laughs> That's what I would say. Then he's not a good leader for us. But for God, he's a good leader because he was humble. King Saul was not a good leader in the eyes of God. He was a good leader in the eyes of people. And God said, you want a leader? I will give you a leader after your own heart. But God says, no, no, no. I will take David. David is a man after God's own heart. Completely different. No, King Saul, a big guy, impressive. David, redhead. It's good redhead if you hear people know. Redhead, baby face. That even his father didn't think that he is a potential leader. So he didn't even call him home when it was the time of the auditions. Right? He didn't even call him home. He said, ah, he's not. He's, go, go. It's not, it's not for you. And the people in the synagogue sit there having fun. All this is so pleasing to their ears. God is good. God loves you. He will take care of the problem. Don't worry. Everything will be okay. Now they feel very comfortable with Paul. And the turning point is coming. Because no, the goal is not to tell them how much they are good or they are loved. The point is to tell them about Jesus. And just now, he goes there. So, I think it's a good idea when we come to people and we share the gospel, not to start with the hammer, not to start with the sting, but to tell them a little bit about how good is God, right? To tell them about what he did. It's a good idea. I know even when Paul writes to Philemon, he gives him, give him some compliments before he starts to talk about, about Onesimus, about the other guy, right? He, he uses his... his Wisdom to do it. That's what Paul does in the synagogue as well. And then he says that God gives trustful promises. And after he's talking about David so nice, which we Jews all agree, right? David was a great guy. And he says, from the seed of this man, according to the promise. It's important. God had brought to Israel's Savior, Jesus, after John had preached before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. That's nice. You, you see the shift that he does? Okay, if we all agree until now that God is sovereign and that's how we survived until now, if this is true that that's what God promised, we cannot ignore it anymore. Because you see, the people of Israel were not disappeared in Egypt because God promised to Abraham. And they did not disappear in Babylon because God promised to Jeremiah. And did not disappear in the later on because, 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 because we know. And the Nazis did not kill all of us because God said that Israel will be saved. So Paul tells the people, don't lose hope. On the other hand, see what God promised. And now it's really hard for them to say, no, no, we will not take this part. Until now we took it, but now we don't want to take it. And he's emphasizing even here the sovereignty of God. You see, 
God has brought to Israel a savior. It's not a savior king. God brought him. That's the main thing. And, and Paul says that this was promised. It's interesting because today the people of Israel, the religious people in Israel say that the Messiah will come not when God decides to send him, but when we as a nation would be willing to accept him. In fact, they would say that in every generation you have a potential Messiah that is there. And if we accept him, he will be revealed as the Messiah. If not, he will die. And in the next generation, we will have another one until we decide that we accept the Messiah. And then it will be a Messiah. Paul says, God says something completely different. It's not about us. It's about the servant God. Right? Secondly, he says that the coming of the Messiah, the seed of David, is according to the promise. What promise? Well, first the promise that was given to David, right? In 2 Samuel chapter 6, chapter 7, I'm sorry. The promise was given to the different prophets. Hosea, Joel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, we read this morning, right? Jehovah, our righteousness. Ezekiel, Moses, Micah, Joel, name it. Every prophet was talking about the Messiah. The promise was there all the time. It's there all the time. He tells the people of Israel, you see God promised before and did what he said. Now we send the Messiah. How can you ignore it? God is sovereign. He's doing what he says. And it's interesting that he says that God brought Israel a savior. No, I would not come with this exact message here as long as you don't see yourself part of Israel. By the way, I think that you are part of Israel. Since some years ago we talked about it. Uh, you are part of Israel now. But in the synagogue, sure, it's nice to hear that God sent Israel a savior. So if you believe in God's sovereignty, the conclusion must be that Jesus is the Messiah. You have no other choice. If you believe that God is in control, Jesus is the Savior for us, for Israel. First, for you too. I, I want still to be here tonight, you know. <laughs> then, Paul moves to the eighth point. We have only 25, so don't worry. We are <laughs> um, it said that God sovereign and gives salvation to his people and to anyone who believes. Remember at the beginning he said, he talked to the people of Israel and those who fear the Lord. So why is this kind of separation? Okay, so there is a change in the Jewish way of running a synagogue. Uh, today, if you are not Jew, you are not welcome in the synagogue. Then it was not true. No, in the New Testament we see so many times that people that are not Jews, 
but believed in the God of Israel or wanted to hear about the God of Israel or loved the Jews because they were kind of maybe better society, you know, better relationship, especially for women, by the way. And it says about the rich women that they used to hang out with the Jews because, no, the Jews treated the women better than, than the Romans. And in the synagogue, you would have Jewish people, but you would have also other people that fear the Lord, but are not Jews. And he says, he talks to them to, as sons of Abraham's family, it's us, and those among you who fear God, that's you, right? Uh, and he said that the, the, the word of this salvation was sent to all of us. I don't like it. I want word of salvation for me different than yours, better than yours, but that's not an option for me, right? God said that there is only one house of prayer for Jews and Gentiles alike. And so he says, this word of salvation is God's word. He says that it's uh, for, for all of us, good to know. Then he comes to the last point. Uh, he says, God is sovereign, and therefore his plan will be fulfilled in spite of opposition. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, I will not go into politics because uh, it's not, we don't have the time and it's not right. But when the election in Israel happened just last week, uh, many, many of the Christians in Israel became very afraid. So we, we have kind of a strange situation. See, here when you vote, no. okay, when you have liberals, so liberals will be for abortions, for gays, for, and will be against God, right? Usually. In our situation, it's the opposite way. You see, the left, the liberals, will be for abortions, for gays, for, will be against God, but will be for giving rights to minorities, which is us. The right wing are religious people usually, and they will be sometimes with us on abortions and gays, but they would try to eliminate Christianity in Israel. So it's all complicated. And after the election, we, you come to church and many people come and they are so afraid. So what will happen now when Ben Gvir and uh, his friends will be in the government and who knows, they, they may shut the, the churches and they may shut the ministries and can it happen? Yes. Yes, we talked about uh, sharing the gospel in jail, right? Maybe. Probably not, by the way. Israel is a democracy. It's, it's hard to do it. Probably not. But if it happens, it happens. But why should be, we be afraid when God showed us that he can overcome any opposition that came against Israel in the past or against the church now? It's amazing for me that we are so afraid, always so afraid. And God sent his Messiah to Israel when Israel was under the rule of the Roman bed, bed conquered. 
It was not fun to live in Israel then. God sent the Messiah on the right time. When the Greeks were, were controlling Israel, it was hopeless. That's how people thought. It, it was hopeless. The temple was dest destroyed. The people died. Again, then God used the Maccabees to take care of it. A family. One brave family. That's all. And I tell you, the problem that we have is not the opposition. The problem that we have starts within our heart. You see, Jesus didn't go to the, to the cross to save Israel from the missiles that's coming from the Palestinians. He went to the cross to save me from the sin in my heart. Completely different story, isn't it? We all, all the time we, we look and we say, okay, these people and these people and these people. No, the church is always in danger because of the church, not because of the opposition. We know, huh? The, hard, the, the, the bad people coming from within us, those that cause problems in the church are not from outside, are from inside. And those that cause me problems and not from outside, it's me. It's always me. So that's, again, when Paul talks about it, he says, okay, you know, Jesus went to the ground. He put, was put in, in the grave. And God raised him up. So even when you are, feel hopeless because of the situation, because of the enemies, because of the church because of what you see every morning in the mirror when you feel hopeless you just should know Jesus went to the cross died and God raised him up so you the people of Israel that came to the synagogue and you the people that came to the synagogue who fear the Lord will have salvation that's some good news, huh? So how come you're not smiling? These are good news. But you see the way that Paul takes them from the place that they feel comfortable to the place that they feel uncomfortable to the place that maybe they will feel comfortable if they will react right. The Bible says... There are many thoughts in, are in the man's heart, but it is the counsel of God, of, of the Lord, that will stand. It's not us. It's the counsel of the Lord that will stand. And if I want to, to have success, I want to be there. No, not to think what is good for me, what I would like to do. So I tell you, uh, no. Nick said that I, I said we are there, put us to work. By the way, this is not work. I thought that I'm going to clean the church. <laughs> Which, you know, by the way, I'm I, I definitely willing to do it. It will be no problem. But uh, what do you think I would do this Sunday if I would not be here talking about God? Just imagine that I have free time today. What do you think I would do? Ask Rich, he will tell you. Now, I would do 
stupid things. Immediately. No, if I will not be busy with good things, I will do stupid things. Right? That's me. It's not everybody, but that's me. And if I will not read a good book, I will read a bad book. Because that's what I do. And it's better for us to be under the thought of God. And if we are doing it, now let's change the language a little bit. If we are sent by the Spirit, and we are doing what the Spirit calls us to do, great thing will happen. We may be able to talk to the mayor of Illinois about the gospel tomorrow. We, know, we don't know. And we may find a Jewish group that asks us to tell, our, to tell about our, our faith. In fact, some <coughs> weeks ago, I was called to talk to a group of 17 years old kids that they have a special program. None of them is a Christian, but they heard about the Christian faith and somebody called me and said, are you willing to come and talk to our group? 60 kids, 17 years old, that I, I had a privilege to come and tell them about Jesus. Now, I tell you, I, I never dare to pray for something like this. But maybe this morning I was willing to walk where God will take me. So the phone calls came. That's all. It's so simple. Okay. We are reaching the end. Don't worry. Everything will be okay. As I said, this passage is probably the only passage in the Bible that I know that have a full session of reaching out to Jewish religious people. Isn't that amazing? A full session, just, just there, sitting there. Um, and I think that we can learn so much because Paul was a good, smart man. So if God give, give us, each one of us, the opportunity to reach out to anyone, definitely to one that is not no, in our plate, no, that's not like us, because then it's easy, huh? But somebody that is not like us, let's remember maybe three things that I want to mention. Uh, Okay, I'm faster than the machine. It's unbelievable. Um, so first, when we serve the Lord, uh, we are people that are sent by the Spirit. And if we are sent by the Spirit, we may experience, experience opportunities and blessings that we could not even dare to ask. I'm old enough. I saw it so many times in my life and main, mainly in the life of other people that I know. Faithful people that were da just there, willing to walk, and the right time God called them to do things that you couldn't believe. When, when reaching out to people, it is a good idea to start with information that is pleasant to the ears of, of the listeners. Now, don't come with the big hammer first, because we may lose the opportunity. Uh, I must say that there are some cases that you do it the other way as well. So it's not a formula that you do it like this and the church will be full with Jewish people tomorrow. It's not, going, it's not a story. 
And I want to say that the, the history of Israel shows that God is faithful, is loving, but mainly is sovereign. I think that if each one of us would take a piece of paper and write his, his life story, we will come to the same conclusion, right? Uh, I know that when we heard the gospel, we made a, a good decision, a very spiritual decision to fight and to show that it's wrong. That's what written me did. But God is sovereign. And he, no, I always say that he held me in my ear and brought me into faith because I was not willing to go in any, in any other way. God is sovereign. And the story of each one of us shows it. Therefore, let's trust him. Let's walk with him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, you are so gracious to us. <clears throat> Just the thinking that a holy God, a smart God, someone that can do everything and knows everything, we choose to save sinners like us. What a great blessing. What a great blessing that you gave us the history to show us that you are in control, you are sovereign, and we are in your hands. And where else we would like to be if not there? So we thank you so much for saving us, for saving uh, Jews and Gentiles alike to make us one in you and to give us those promises that one day all Israel will be saved. One day we will be in your kingdom with you, seeing your beautiful face, worshiping our Messiah day and night and have a joyful heart that knows no, no sorrow at all. To you, God, all the glory and the beauty and the power and the honor. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>